Well, welcome everybody to another edition of the Outpost Podcast. I'm Dr. Ray Mitch, your host, and I'm, I'm glad that you've taken some time out of your schedule just to listen into uh, the podcast. And uh, I, I will, I'm, I need to say, you know, if you know somebody, pass it on, let them know uh, that this is worth paying attention to, or at least listening in on to see if there's anything interesting in here worth paying attention to. So. Um, as always, I want to I want to try to set the stage for what it is we're about and what the Outpost podcast is really about, and and ultimately this is the place where faith, psychology, and spiritual formation meet, and and these conversations and I'm I'm uh, the way I see myself is just leading this conversation, not necessarily uh, dictating the terms, if you will. So. What we're trying to do, even if it is digital for the time being, is to create this space where doubters, wounded, confused, beat up and beat down, uh, bent and bruised, who feel like their lives are a disappointment to God, and there's no way that God would ever take them back, where they can feel accepted enough to be known and know others. And even if it's in a digital way, that's a beginning. It's it's not perfect. We've We've already had our our um, uh, interactions online through Zoom and other things. But it's a beginning. And what we want to be is a place where people can meet the biblical Jesus as he is, not as they have been told he is, or the caricature of Jesus according to the Christians they have bumped into. Now, I spent a little time before the silent retreat talking about toxic and non-toxic Christians, and that's exactly what what I, I we want to avoid. Okay, and, and what I mean by that is um, trying to strive to be the kind of people that are safe, that are accepting, and are not there to correct anybody, but are there to connect with people. And there is things. There are things that all of us struggle with that we can connect on. And we don't have to make the judgment call about what is good or isn't good. I think ultimately the Holy Spirit can handle that. And so that's what this really is all about. And that's what the Outpost podcast is for. So it is connected up with a larger mission uh, called Stained Glass International. And its mission is to equip, encourage, and, and empower the next generation to live authentically in relationship to Jesus, others, and themselves. And, and you pick one of those, right? Either we're committed to Jesus, but we don't know how to relate to others, or we don't know how to relate to ourselves. And sometime, somehow we think that relating to ourselves is selfish, or we, we relate or center ourselves on others, and we lose ourselves, and... Ultimately, Jesus is kind of a sideshow or none of the above. And we just throw up our hands in, in despair and say, there's no way I can do this, so I give up. And so I'm just going to live life as best I know how and hope for the best. Um, but what we, what, what we want to do, what, what I want to do in forming SGI is to create a place where we can uh, create or... Uh, even, like I said, even in the digital sense, 
uh, a, an outpost for the heart, someplace that's safe for us to reveal our hearts to one another. And unfortunately, the church is not that place. Unfortunately, it has quickly moved away from being that place. We see the church as someplace to be corrected, to be told what to do, to be judged, and all of those things. And we have to get back to the basics here, folks. We have to get back to what the, the, the early church faced, because we're back in those kinds of times again. We are not in a, in a uh, culture that is um, hmm, uh, accepting of Christ followers. And I don't say that in any kind of conspiratorial way or anything like that. That's always been the case. That's been the case for a long time. At the same time, increasingly, we have moved away from a firm grounding in a truth that can be known, that, can be, that is embodied, that has a face, and that we can begin to embrace and understand, and it can be portrayed in our relationship to one another. And so that's what the outposts for the heart are, and what I call this communities for the soul, someplace that my heart is safe, that I can be known as I am, not as I should be, because I'm never going to be what I should be, and I can also know others as well. And so that's that's the ultimate goal. I don't know how we're going to get there. I know that we can only really kind of stick a flag in the ground and say, let's try it here in the digital world, and then we'll see what we can do to, to um, extend out beyond that in real time with real people looking at each other in the eye. Uh, and so that's one part of it. The other part of it is uh, to, to sponsor and lead Silent Retreats is part of the ministry of SGI, and Silent Retreats are what they, what they portray. It's a place of silence and solitude, and quite honestly, the funny thing about it is, is that psychology is finally catching up to realize that that might actually be helpful. That's been around within our faith for 6,000 years. It's not new, but we're seemingly rediscovering the ancient new, and I think that's equally as important in terms of developing our own spiritual depth to withstand the, the assaults and the difficulty and the hardship that comes with living life in real time in the world that we're in. So um, it's not only creating, SGI's goal is not only to create this space that's safe for people to meet and see each other and live life together and support one another and and all of those sorts of things. But it's also um, creating a place where people can retreat and and move into, it's not always, it doesn't have to be always, but move into and experience silence and solitude and realize that those things, silence and solitude, are actually inhabited. It's a place where God is waiting to meet us in a very profound way, if we can just shut up long enough to be able to do that. And some of that shutting up that I just said isn't really the, the us talking, it's the world talking at us and the noise that we surround ourselves by just to distract us from the noise in our heads and in our hearts 
And that's that's what it's there for. And it can be pretty unnerving. I mean, some of the, the observations I was making from the silent retreat last weekend is a really good example of that. It, it was unnerving, I think, to some of the people that were there. And they, they engaged it in the ways that they always engaged something that was novel, and that was to either retreat from it and make it sound like they're connected or connect to it and be overwhelmed. And that's, that's also a part of it where we can say, hey, I, this is, I don't know what to do with it. This is overwhelming. I don't, I, do you guys have any, anything that goes with this or you understand this at all? And that's, that's what silent retreats often are is comparing notes on life, on the day, on seeing God or not hearing Him at all and wondering what's wrong with me. And, and there's so many lessons to be learned in that, actually, because we have to find some way of disengaging and untangling all of the things that, have, that we have uh, accepted into our understanding about how life is. And silence and solitude assaults those things. And then I have to ask the question, either what's wrong or what's right? And I, I'm really out of touch here. One of the things, let me, I, I'm off on the, my usual rabbit trail here, but one of the things that I, I showed my students this week and the week prior, I think, is there is no movie that is more profoundly indicative of what I'm talking about than The Matrix. Now, it's a trilogy. The other two are awful. Uh, you know, they're, they're not even remotely as good as the first one is because the first one broke new ground. But what I want you to th realize and think about is The Matrix is the very thing we live in. We live in a matrix, and we don't know that we are. And, and the, the conversation between the main characters, Morpheus and Neo, is Morpheus says to him, it's a prison of the mind. And we have the ability to leave it, but we are too afraid to leave it because of the security and safety and predictability and, the, and to some degree the removal of anxiety that it offers us. And it's poison. It's poison every time. And even though we know it, it's completely irrelevant what we know. I, you know, quite honestly, I'm getting really tired of hearing people talk about what they know because it's, it doesn't matter. We curate knowledge and we live stupidly like we don't know that knowledge. So what's the disconnect here? What, uh, what is it? I, 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 I know... I've been talking to people long enough. I have my hunches about what's behind it. Not to mention, I've talked to people long enough and I've looked long enough in the mirror to know that I want to be blind. I want to be asleep. I, I, I do. I, I, I don't want to know this stuff. And yet, when, when Neo is offered the blue pill and the red pill... <laughs> And said, you know, you can go down this hole and find out what reality really is, or you can wake in, up in your bed the next day and act like nothing has ever happened. And that's our choice. 
every time we confront. And silence, silence and solitude only intensifies those things. So, all right, I, that uh, rabbit trail ended, bunny trail ended. I want to get back to what I had in mind to talk about tonight. And I think it's every bit as relevant to what we're talking about here. And that is, for those of us that are following Jesus, okay? And even if you're not, but you're curious, this conversation probably has something of relevance to you as well. And ultimately, that's our audience. It's not just Christ followers. I think there are plenty of Christ followers that are very, very disenchanted, but they're not willing to admit the fact that they're disenchanted. That is this all it is? You know, is, is, is this as good as it gets? And so this, this has a relevance about that. And so one of the things, what I want to ask is, and, and the title of this podcast is Motivation Matters. And I, my question is this, <clears throat> is when you do something nice, all right, and I got all sorts of thoughts about that word nice, but I won't get into them right now. When you do something nice, why do you do it? Why? Is it for the other person to recognize how nice you are? Is it because you see that person as having intrinsic dignity and value as a human and they're worthy of being treated nicely? Or is it, is it a trade? I'll be nice to you if you're nice to me. And so what is our motivation, even in the Christian faith, for, for following Jesus? Okay? And the word I would use is obedience. Now, I, I, I have, I, there's another podcast. I have no idea what, what number it is. It's probably in the psych monologues, and, and I've lost track of them. I just keep talking and hope for the best. But <clears throat> what... What is your motivation for changing anything about you? Why? Why? Why do that? I mean, it, it's a pain in the butt. It really is. Most of the time when we want to change behavior, why are we doing it? Are we doing it because it has consequences for someone else? Are we doing it because we're motivated by love for the, the Savior I'm following? Am I, am I motivated because I feel obligated to do this because it's not a good thing and I've heard too many sermons about it and I don't want to do it anymore? Or, here's another good one, I'm doing it so that I can avoid punishment sometime in the future. That's a good one. I mean, it's kind of like fire insurance. And do we even know how to choose our motivation for following Jesus out of love. And I would suggest to you that we don't. We really don't. If, if you choose, and you can think of it whatever, you, you can think of whatever area you want to think about. But if I choose that I want to change a particular area or particular behavior in my life, my first question will be, Why? Well, I should. Okay, you should. 
according to what standard? Why? Why? Well, it's a good thing to do. Okay, it's a good thing to do. What, what good comes out of it? Well, you know, the people around me are not impacted by it anymore. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't have to suffer the potential of consequences, which is the avoidance of punishment, by the way, or for me to stay close in relationship to Jesus, this behavior takes me in the opposite direction, and I want to do something about that so I can stay as close to him as possible. Now, what is your motivation? Because in a lot of cases, the interesting thing about us Christians and Christ followers is there's a difference between our language and our behavior, okay? Our language is the language of motivation, but our compliance and attempts at behavior change is because of, of avoidance of punishment, because of I should, because of... Um, because of obligation. You know, it's just, I'm, I should do this. This is not what, quote-unquote, here it comes. I, this is not what good Christians do. So what do good Christians do, and what is the definition of good Christians? Please, enlighten me. And, and is, there, is there a good Christian? See, again and again and again, our language is littered, absolutely littered, with shame. Good according to whom, and good relative to whom. See, self-discipline is far and away more important to us than choosing to have our motivations be transformed by love. And that's the, that's the difference here is there's motivation, what, why I do what I do, and then there's self-discipline to bring about that motivation. But see, what we oftentimes do is we reverse them, and I'll do the self-discipline first and hope for the best that it will transform my motivations. The beauty of that, the beauty of that approach... <laughs> is I, I look the part of changing before I have the motivation to actually change. And I, we, we choose that time and time again. Motivation, if I'm going to have, okay, if I'm going to have transformed motivations, it will take time and it will take trust. And I will have failures along the way in accomplishing the behavior I think I'm supposed to admit to produce, right? And that's exactly how we see it. See it. It's a failure. Now, that's a very short jump to we are a failure. Very short jump. And there's a lot of our language that is the language of motivation, but our behavior is behavior of compliance. And 
I, you know, I, I said this to somebody that I was talking to on Friday, and that was this kind of saw, uh, if you, you're familiar with that phrase, it's kind of like a cultural saying that people use, and it goes this way. A man, <laughs> a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And that's, that's us. And we wonder why we fail over and over and over again at trying to have behaviors change because we impose self-discipline rather than trust and time and focus on having our motivations transformed. And it's ugly, it's messy, it is never perfect, but self-discipline is. I, I, I can will, I can white-knuckle it, I can grit my teeth and stop myself from doing stuff. I can't tell you how many people I have talked to, and you name the addiction, porn or alcohol or drugs or relationships or you name it. And people will say, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to do this anymore. I, I am going to abstain. Got it. Go get them, tiger. And they do for a period of time. And it's seemingly some pressure starts to build up inside of them. And they work harder and harder. And they sweat harder and harder. Figuratively, not literally, obviously. And, <laughs> and sooner or later, relapse is waiting for them. And then what? Once I've blown it, well, you know, we've gone over the cliff anyway. I might as well have my, my, my jollies on the way down, right? And then we crash and burn, and then we get ourselves up, and we imply the exact same strategy to try to change it all over again. And the strategy of self-discipline, of, of white-knuckling abstention, looks good for a period, but it inevitably breaks down. And that you can apply that no matter where you look. Because it removes self-discipline, takes me out of a position of trust, of vulnerability, of giving myself the time to grow. And that's just not good enough in a lot of of. And I'll just say it, the Christian culture, that is not good enough. I need to see that something is changing. And if it's not changing, then something's wrong. I need to change that too. So we substitute self-discipline for motivation. Now, let me make it really clear. I am not saying that self-discipline is wrong. It isn't. The issue is, where is our motivation for something? Because our motivation to love, for love, and to move toward love is going to be, like I said, imperfect, messy, um, uh, I, it, with fits and starts. I will get it right. I will get it wrong. But if I am unfolded in the kind of love that Jesus offers me, then I can get up, I can dust off, I can dust myself off, I can confess and repent of the things that I've done and take another run at it. 
And see, that's, that's what ultimately life, more broadly, but that's what the Christian life, the following heart after Jesus, actually looks like. And I, quite honestly, I don't think any of us buy it. I, based on what I see, based on what I see, and listen, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, um, I'm not a disinterested observer. I am a fellow, uh, a fellow companion on these journeys. I see it in myself time and time again. I talk a great game. I talk self-discipline. I talk about what I'm going to do next. I'm talking about every January 1, I come up with resolutions. And, I, you know, I have a phrase I say all the time. Hope springs eternal in the minds of idiots and fools. It's not because I'm a cynic. It's because I know who I'm looking at in the mirror. I know the, the extent of creativity I can exercise to avoid changing. And if we don't account for that, we will not achieve the change we're looking for. And, and there's no way around that. The one thing I will say, and I keep saying it over and over again, you cannot change what you will not accept. And if you will not accept the fact that you are changing because you should, not because you are driven or drawn by love. Not driven, because see, if I change because I should, then I am driven by something. I'm, I'm trying to avoid something. And the one thing I have, I'd say again is when I'm avoiding something, it doesn't matter the direction I take. It really doesn't. But when I'm pursuing something, the direction I take actually matters. And that's true here is when I am pursuing love, I'm pursuing my relationship with Christ, I'm pursuing a relationship with anybody, then I have a certain set of behaviors before me that I can choose to do because it gets me closer and closer to that goal. But if I'm avoiding, eh, choose, you know, flip the coin. What I can go this way, I can go that way, I can choose other people. I, I mean, the funny thing about it is somebody may give up one addiction just to substitute it for another, another more socially appropriate one. And that's, it, it, you know, pick your poison. I mean, it's less socially um, disapproved of. But that is also always true. So when we're talking about change, that will never go down easy for us. It will, we will always, and I'll just say it category, un, un, uncategorically, we will always dig our heels about change, in our heels about change. Because it requires doing things that remind us of our humanity. And we don't want to be reminded of our humanity. Honestly, we don't. Now, we know it. There it is, okay? There's the know versus the, the experiencing it. And I don't want to experience it. I know it which keeps it at a very safe distance away. I mean, I literally, I can keep it at arm's length and say, I know something, but I don't want to experience it. And the question is, is why? 
Why don't I want to experience my humanity? And the bottom line is, we don't like feeling vulnerable. I know. Congratulations, Captain Obvious, right? We don't like feeling vulnerable. Why about that? And I'm filled with these questions tonight, right? I, it's why? Why don't I want to feel vulnerable? Because after all, when a child is safest is when they are vulnerably resting in their parents' arms. But somewhere along the way, we have made the conclusion that resting and trusting is not a safe option. Because we've been let down. I get it. Humans are a very, very unreliable lot. They can be just downright stupid, myself included. But I, I don't, I, I don't, I, you know, as Brene Brown famously says, you may say, I don't do vulnerability, but vulnerability will do you. Sooner or later, it will come and knock on your door, whatever that instance is or circumstance is, and then you have a choice to make. Either you continue to build up more and more defenses, or you open that door, be known as you are, and maybe, just maybe, you might bump into somebody, and that's what these outposts are about. You might bump into somebody that says, me too, I got that. I sure understand that. Tell me more. And invites us more into vulnerability. Does not pepper us with more questions or anything like that. It's just like, help me understand. Tell me more. I want to, I want to understand. And that's, that's really what this whole thing is about, really. And quite honestly, the, the target audience for SGI and the Outpost podcast is the very people that have opened their hearts and been vulnerable within the church, thinking that the church is a safe place. And what they have been met with is the very list of stuff that I have talked about in Toxic Christians. And they say, never again. Never again. I'm out of here. If that's who Jesus is, I don't want anything to do with him. And quite honestly, I get that. I really, really understand that completely. I, I, my wife and I just heard a sermon this morning about Job. And I, I attend a small group of men. And I'm known for loving Job. And you know why I like Job so much? Because he pulls absolutely no punches with God. None. None. His friends are a group of frickin' idiots. And either they say, well, get used to it, that's just the way life is. Or they say, well, you know, what goes around comes around, and this is just your time, blah, 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 whatever. And then they, 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 they say it's inevitable, just get used to it. But there's nothing in the love of God in there anywhere. See, the thing to keep in mind is the minute we try to explain a universe that is broken, we will always land on something like that. And the poor person that we are pontificating to and expounding this wonderful, um, profound knowledge of ours on is left feeling even more alone 
than when they came looking for connection. And one of the things I like about Job is <laughs> his friends, and I, I've often said this, is, you know, they did the very Jewish thing when they saw their friend in distress. They, they, they shut up, sat down, and wept with him for seven days. Can you imagine? For seven days. And, and then they opened their mouth and everything went to hell in a handbasket. Completely. Completely. And that's us. That's us. We might get the front end right, but we absolutely blow it up because we feel compelled to say something profound instead of thinking that maybe, just maybe, our presence is profound enough. We don't believe that. I, I'll just say it right out. We don't believe that. We really don't. We don't think that our presence is enough. Now, if I were to admit that or to say that, then I'm being prideful, I'm being arrogant, I'm being, you know, I'm usurping God, whatever kind of, you know, Christian crap that comes out of our mouths to justify it. But I, that's when they blew it. They were on a roll for seven days, and then they just blew it. And Job dug his heels in, rightfully so. He dug his heels in. And sooner or later, got this point of saying, enough already. I just, I just want to have an audience with God. I want to know what the answers are to my most pressing questions. And man, that I don't know of anybody portrayed in Scripture that is more human than us, than Job. I honestly don't. I, I, I said as we were driving away, two of my favorite books of the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, are the bookends of the wisdom literature in Scripture. One's Ecclesiastes and the other is Job. And the beauty of that book is when you get down to the very, very end and God appears and he doesn't answer any of Job's questions, any, which would be annoying to most of us as well. But he says, let me tell you something, Job. Let me ask you a few questions. And, he, and we hear it laced with shame. How dare you? How dare you? And quite honestly, I have a very difficult time believing that. He, he was simply asking questions of fact. And he wasn't, was he trying to make a point? Of course he was. Of course he was. But on the flip side of that, Job's rela relationship with God was such that he knew he wasn't trying to put him into his place. He was reminding him of the truth of his majesty and awesomeness. And when he got down to the very end, he says to Job's friends, <laughs> which I love this twist in the story, he gets it down to Job's friends, and he says, listen, you guys need to offer sacrifices. And oh, by the way, have Job do that for you because he spoke truthfully of me and you did not. And talk about getting your lunch handed to you. That is what that is. And I, I think that is probably so instructive for us as well is rather than looking to try to say something profound to make all the things better for this person, why don't we figure out a way to enter into 
their pain and their grief and their sorrow and their depression and their anxiety. We don't have to fix it. As a matter of fact, us just being present and accepting them where they are is the, quote-unquote, the fix. And we, don't, we, we really honestly don't think that that's all that relevant, quite honestly. We have to say something. We have to come up with some knowledge to apply it, which actually begs the person to use knowledge against their experience, and it invalidates their experience. I, it's, it's nuts. It's completely nuts. And this is, listen, this is me. I have been doing counseling. I've been using words and knowledge and all these things for 40 years. I've been doing this for a long time. A long time. But what I found is oftentimes the very thing that I thought was so profound is just the fact that I heard the story, I was present, I did not go running out of the room in terror or hysteria, and I accepted the person where they were as they were, and guess what? They felt human again. They felt human again. And so, you know, trying, I, you know, there's part of me who wants to connect up what's going on and what's the flow of these podcasts. And sometimes something will seize me because of the conversations I've had with students or the things I've been thinking about myself. And I'm, you know, I pray that it, it, it will be motivating. It will cause you to think a little bit further about the, the nature of your relationship with Jesus. Even if you hate him, even if you hate him, he's still in the center of your rangefinder. <clears throat> but it's not, oftentimes, it is not the Jesus of the scriptures that you hate. It's the picture portrayed by Christians who are working overly hard to do your work for you or doing your relationship for you will tell you how it should be rather than inviting you into a relationship and letting you f go with you on this on this journey of figuring it out I, I that's what an outpost is for so i i guess the observations the things i had tonight is really just falls into the category of food for thought, I suppose, or, or perhaps some validation for those of us, and I say us inclusively, I'm not saying us in terms of humanity, but those of us who have really walked through dark, dark, the very dark valleys. And when we have there are just a very small group of people that we have met in those valleys who are comfortable in that valley and are willing to walk with us through that without demanding that we get out of it sooner than our journey takes us. And that's, that's rare. It is really rare. I might, you know, maybe I'm delusional thinking that I could help us all cultivate the kind of culture or community that would have more and more people provide this sanctuary of space or like I said the communities for the soul that will actually protect that rather than 
trying to fix it because by fi trying to fix it, we imply there's something fundamentally wrong. Is there? Yes, of course. But it's not my job to tell you what's wrong. It's your job to trust enough and allow time to reveal that to you. And you need a context of friends that, who will walk with you through that. And that's, that's, really, that's really what outposts are all about. I mean, the, the interesting historical part of that is I, I, I have had that vision for a long, long time, well over 15 years. And, and it seems like I'm getting closer to the horizon. I'm getting closer to seeing that it could possibly come about because of the very generation of people who have drunk deep of the other kind of should-based, demand-based, compliance-based community and said, thanks, but no thanks, I'm out. And they've, they're left in that hostile territory looking for somewhere that's safe, and they just can't find it. And that's, that's really what, what the outpost... The, what what SGI is all about. Um, at some point, we probably need to talk further about the stained glass self and what that actually is all about. Um, maybe, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, we can develop enough of a course around it that you can just simply go to it and begin to understand why SGI came into existence and why, quite honestly, I think, is so, so, imp so important. So, okay, enough. Um, that's enough for tonight. Um, a few things just to remind you at the end here uh, is that if you have questions or you have reactions um, or affirmations or criticism or whatever that might be, feel free to DM me any of that uh, at SG underscore international um, at that, all right, S at SG underscore international on Instagram. Uh, you, you can do that, you know, on Facebook, you can do that on any of the, well, three major social medias where I do that. I, some of the other ones I don't waste my time with. Um, you, when you hit the, the, the digital home, which is sgi-net.org, um, you can subscribe. And there's a little, you know, uh, pop-up that shows up. So subscribe, and we'll, we will send out emails peri periodically about upcoming events and things like that. Um, the, the third thing I'd, I'd mention is just a digital devotional. Um, it's called Setting New Boundaries. It's there to help people be reminded every week about what healthy relationships look like. Um, and you can do that if you're a student. Uh, you can sign up for the, the student package, if you will. It's $250 a month. You just trade in a latte or or a caramel macchiato or whatever your favorite drink is. Just one of those, and you would have uh, four different devotionals each month uh, to talk about healthy relationships, um, and you can do that. Or uh, if you're not a student anymore and you want to engage, then you could do five bucks a month. Um, and all of that is tax deductible. It supports SGI and the mission mission of SGI in putting on these silent retreats and being able to, to um, generate this, the, the um, interest that's necessary. I can't do it all. I have a, a, 
a micro team that is doing the social media for me and Instagram and everything else. They go into places I'd rather not go. I, I bless them and let them do their thing. Uh, but you can follow us on Instagram, like I said, at SGI underscore international, um, Facebook at Ray.Mitch, and then at LinkedIn, DRMitch. If you, uh, it would be ever so helpful to uh, raise the profile of the Outpost podcast by subscribing, by doing a, re a review, hopefully positive, um, all of that on, on iTunes or Spotify or uh, Amazon Music or iHeartRadio, any of those places, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find us there as well. Um, and then finally, as I always say, if you know anybody or if you're interested in partnering with us um, to continue to grow, not only the scholarship fund for people going to uh, the silent retreats, whether that's a student, whether that's somebody that it just doesn't have the funds and wants to go, whatever that might be, um, all, of your, you know, all of your donations goes into that to allow us to, to fund that and make it possible for people to attend. Um, and you can find that on our donate page. So it's sgi-net.org slash forward slash donate. And you can do that there and, and make a donation. You can decide how much or how little you want to give. Every little bit helps. I can't say that for sure. Um, we are still a baby organization. We need lots of nurturance and lots of help in uh, doing what we're trying to do here. If you'd rather send a physical check, you certainly can do that as well. You just make it out to SGI, and then the address is P.O. Box 322, Eastlake, Colorado, 80614, and that will get, get her done, as they say. So, um, so thank you for uh, sitting still long enough to listen to uh, some of my rantings and ravings and rabbit trails. I hope they have been encouraging, maybe even challenging. Um, and until next time, love ya. Later. Bye. <laughs>